Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, where I take you into the world of football with me. And we take a few detours occasionally, but we are mostly football. And this week, we've got a very fun podcast. We're going to have Sam Farmer, the Los Angeles Times, uh, to discuss quite a few different things. Sean McVay of the Rams what the future of football might be in Los Angeles, the tremendous new complex in Los Angeles. And also, he's got an interesting story about Donald Trump. Then, I'm going to give you a little snippet of a conversation I had with Joe Staley, the San Francisco 49ers veteran left tackle. And I want you to hear this because I think Joe Staley, who's been in the trenches for 12 years, in the NFL, has a great take on what's happening with offensive football so far in this very explosive season. Then finally, I'll take you into the locker room with me Sunday night in Foxborough, Massachusetts, after the Patriots' 43-40 victory over the Kansas City Chiefs, the game of the year in the NFL, actually a game probably of several years. It was really terrific, and Dante Hightower will join me He was terrific in that game, and uh, I wanted to give him his props because I thought he had a great deal to do with some of the great defensive stops they had on Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs. But first, I want to take you into my evening on Sunday, late Sunday night in Foxborough. I found this very interesting. A lot of times, For people who don't get to go behind the scenes and don't get to go into the bowels of stadiums and see how players react after games uh, and, and what teams are really like after games, I found this very, very interesting and rather telling. When I got downstairs from the press box after this game, I thought that I would go in and try to talk to a couple of chiefs fairly quickly before I was going to go into the New England locker room. And so I was waiting outside uh, the Chiefs locker room in the tunnel underneath Gillette Stadium, and the Chiefs come walking off the field maybe like a minute after the game. A ruckus uh, celebration is going on in in the stadium. There's fireworks going off. Uh, There's loud music being played. The crowd is still cheering a bit 
and uh, the teams are walking off the field. So it's kind of noisy, but all of a sudden you start to hear the click clack of the cleats on the cement of the Kansas City Chiefs coming in. Now, just to explain what these scenes are like, a lot of times in close games, in very, very hotly contested games, players might come off the field and you might hear a few F-bombs. You might actually hear players uh, get upset at something or to yell something or or I very occasionally I've seen guys throw things in the tunnel. But as the uh, 45 members of the Kansas City Chiefs, the 45 players came off, as Coach Andy Reid came off, as the coaches, the equipment staff, the trainers – all walked off the field. None of them displayed any sort of anger, any sort of disappointment. Uh, I, I would say that there was almost a business-like air to them, and not just a business-like air. I would also say that it was, you know what, we're okay. And it isn't that they accepted losing in any way, because I talked to a couple of their guys about this. They don't accept losing and say, oh, that's fine. We played a good game. Um, and, uh, you know, there are medals for trying. So, you know, and all this self-esteem America, it's okay to lose if you try your hardest. The Chiefs really didn't feel that way, but I think the Chiefs felt this way. Okay. Our quarterback didn't play very well in the first half. We only scored nine points, three field goals. We came at a halftime down 15, and we came back, and we still put up 40 points. We went toe-to-toe with the great Brady and Belichick, and we scored 40 points, and we're okay. We're going to be fine if we meet them again. And one of the reasons I tell you that story is because I think a lot of times it's the approach. Andy Reid, as a matter of fact, walked up to me. He saw me, and I've known uh, Andy since the Green Bay days a long time ago. He walked up to me, shook my hand, and said, Hey, Peter, how you doing? And I said, Hey, great game. And But no one on the Kansas City side was, I don't even think they were disheartened. I think they were very encouraged that last year they came to Foxborough early in the year when Alex Smith was quarterback, put up 42 points, and beat the Patriots. This year, they come in, put up 40 points, and it's a field goal as time expired that beats them 43-30. to 30. So I think the Chiefs, even though they're not undefeated anymore, even though they've now lost to the Patriots, I think the Chiefs are feeling great about themselves, and quite honestly... I would too, because the Kansas City Chiefs right now are going to be in, if they face the Patriots again, again, it could be a coin flip game. I said to Deron Harmon of the Patriots after the game, man, if you guys played the Chiefs 10 times, it's either going to be five to five or six to four, but I can tell you, (laughs) this is going to be divided pretty evenly. And I think all of the the people who played in that game on both teams walked out of there. This isn't like Cincinnati-Pittsburgh, where they hate each other's guts uh, and all that. I think this is a really, really sportsmanlike rivalry, where Patrick Mahomes was thrilled to face Tom Brady, who's 18 years older than he is, by the way. 
I think Bill Belichick and Andy Reid have always had a mutual admiration society. In fact, they went like six or seven years in a row where they made a trade every year, you know, Belichick and Reid. And so you just felt this, you felt this good feeling on both sides. I think it's great for football. I think it's great to look forward. And as I wrote in my column, my football morning in America at NBCSports.com, I'll just say this. If there's a rematch, save me a seat in the press box for this one because this is going to be, as long as Brady plays and is healthy, as long as Belichick coaches, Reed and Mahomes aren't going anywhere, this is going to be one of the great games in football for the coming years. And now my conversation with Sam Farmer of the Los Angeles Times. Back on the Peter King Podcast with Sam Farmer of the Los Angeles Times, one of my best friends in this business and one of the most respected football writers in America. And Sam, I'm going to start off by just asking you about one of the more infamous, I guess, or famous stories of your life about the day you spent on the golf course with Donald Trump. You must regale us with this tale. (laughs) It was wild, Peter. That was back in 2005. And he was a, Donald Trump was sort of a B-list celebrity. I mean, the, the apprentice was on the rise in, in popularity. And I got a call on a Friday night from my boss, Dave Morgan, who said, Hey, do you want to play golf with Donald Trump tomorrow? And I said, yeah, sure. That sounds great. He said, well, I was supposed to play, but I can't now. And so you're filling in for me. So he sent me to ocean trails, which is a course, um, which became Trump national, but, uh, it's a course in Palos Verdes. And the, the best way I can describe it, if you ever saw step brothers, the movie step brothers, yes, I have. That's yeah. where they have the, that's where they have the Catalina wine mixer. Okay. That's the course. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so I figure it's going to be 20 people or something. It's going to be a, a big gathering to meet Donald Trump and, and play. I get there and it's just Donald Trump and the course pro and a PGA media relations person. So it's kind of cool. I mean, I get in the cart with, with Trump and it's the PGA guy and the course pro in the other cart. And, uh, it's a 16 hole course. Cause two of the, two of the holes have sloughed off into the water. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do? So Repeat a couple of holes or just play 16? Well, you, you play a couple over. They've got okay. a couple of uh, temporary holes set up yeah. at the end. but uh, And it's a beautiful piece of land uh, overlooking uh, the ocean. But it's sort of the same kind of thing. It's not like they're, they're distinctive holes. You're just sort of, which is fine. So we're playing, and, and uh, Donald at the time is saying, this is, this is better than Pebble, isn't it? It's better than Pebble. And I said, well, I mean, it's, it's a very nice course. It's a great piece of land. You know, I don't know if it's better than Pebble Beach yet, but it's, he said, so we, we had a, a round, you know, it was interesting chatting, talked about the USFL, everything. And at the end of the round, I won, I wound up winning 10 bucks off him. And it was two $5 bills. We were squaring up in the pro shop and, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of pulled him away from him and he kind of, that just that microsecond, he, 
held on to the bills as I was pulling <laughs> them away from them. <laughs> And I said, I said, I just won 10 bucks off Donald Trump. <laughs> and he said, well, I've got a private jet and a supermodel girlfriend, so I'm not doing so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I could see Donald Trump <laughs> saying that. <laughs> yeah. Now, the whole time, whenever we encounter anybody on the course, he was introducing me and he'd introduce me as the top man at the L.A. Times. And I, I'd say, I'm not. I'm not the top man. <laughs> at the LA times. I don't even know the top man at the LA times, but then I realized he wasn't doing that for me. He was, he wasn't introducing me that way for me. And yeah. he just, you wouldn't be playing with anybody, but the top man for the LA. Times. So, <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. So we had a, we had a good round and, um, was it, I have to ask had, this, I have to ask this question, Sam, was it an honorable round of golf? I've heard stories of Donald Trump kicking the golf ball or maybe moving the ball at times. So what kind of round was it? I think it was, a, I think it was an honorable round, uh, possibly because we were playing out of the same cart. We didn't have caddies. Yeah. Uh, so we, I tried to hit his ball. He'd drive to my ball. Yeah. You know, it's seen, and listen, for me to win 10 bucks, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a great golfer. You know, and I, I might have had a good. We were playing skins, and I might have had a little hot streak there. But I think you know he's a better golfer than I am. I just kind of lucked into that ten bucks. That's pretty good. Um, which I promptly spent. You know, I mean, it's like I didn't even save those five dollar bills, which I should have done. Yeah. But so we're having lunch after this. Now I think that he is under the impression that I'm writing a story about the course. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't. I was just filling in for my sports editor who said I didn't have to write a story. I mean, I was the NFL writer, so it didn't really, it didn't make any sense that I'd be reviewing a a golf course, but we, uh, so we're having lunch and it's Donald Trump and his secretary and me. And he is sort of, now he's just purchased this course, ocean trails. And so he's, you know, just making the, the notations, the changes that he wants made. So he tells the secretary, he says, Hey, chef, these, these bowls are too big. Tell chef the bowls are too big. Get a bowl of soup. And she says, yes, Mr. Trump. She writes it down. And he said, there's too, there's too much soup in these bowls, less <laughs> soup. Yes, Mr. Trump. Then and, and then she, and he says, um, we need flat screen TVs. Now at the time that was kind of exotic. It was yeah. just transitioning in a plasma screen. He said, flat screen TVs, we need 15, 15 of them in this room. Yes, Mr. Trump. Sony's. Yes, Mr. Trump. Sony's. She said, yes, Mr. Trump. He said, now, what should we call this place? Now, for me, this is just surreal. But again, this wasn't like I was playing golf with the President of the United States. I was playing golf with the guy who was the star of The Apprentice. Uh he says, Trump national or Trump international. And then he looks at me, he says, what do you think? And I said, what's international mean? He said, it means around the world. I said, yeah, I, I know what international means, but what's it mean in relation to the golf course? And he said, well, he said, we're five miles from Los Angeles International Airport. And I said, so you want people to associate this course that you think is better than Pebble with the airport? And without missing a beat, he turns to his secretary and says, Trump National. (laughs) (laughs) Sam Farmer names a a golf course. (laughs) Naming that golf course. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. 
All right, Sam, we're going to segue into Todd Gurley. It's a very interesting and clumsy segue, but I know you're going to make it very neat and clean. Um, (laughs) We are taping this on Monday. I got off the train a while ago coming back from Boston for the Patriots game on Sunday night. And every week in my column, I do the MVP watch, top five MVP candidates. So this week, I had, in order... Number one, Patrick Mahomes. Number two, Drew Brees. Number three, Jared Goff. Number four, Khalil Mack. Number five, Philip Rivers. So the most response on social media I got today was, oh my God, how in the world do you leave Todd Gurley off? And I, yeah. I don't, I mean, look, everybody has their opinion. My opinion is no better than anybody else's, but... Uh, I saw that game against the Minnesota Vikings, and I said, okay, Jared Goff is good, really good. And, uh, you know, this is a team that's 6-0. and I just happen to think in most cases the quarterback is more valuable than the running back. But you're around this team all the time. I want you to tell me who's more valuable to this team right now, Jared Goff or Todd Gurley? Todd Gurley is. Todd Gurley makes the offense go. Uh, Jared Goff is doing really well. He's a good quarterback. And yes, that game, that Minnesota game, when he had a 158.3 rating, perfect passer rating, he was tremendous and uh, and had a great end. But it's Todd Gurley that makes everything go. I had this conversation with Marshall Falk last night because I called him after the game. I was in Denver. And Todd Gurley had the first 200-yard game since Marshall Falk in 2001 for the right. Rams. So I, I said, you know, a lot of things remind me of Marshall Falk. His triple threat ability, uh, the ability not only to run the ball and run it in different ways, run it, hit it up hard when they need the, need those hard yards, but also bounce it outside and uh, get get skinny. And But he's also... He's got great hands out of the backfield, and he's great in pass protection. And, you know, without – Todd Gurley is the is the player who keeps defensive coordinators up nights. It's not Jared Goff. Now, Jared Goff is playing really well, and he's great in this system, and the receivers have played very well. Now, I'm a little concerned from the Rams' perspective about injuries to the receivers because Cooper Cup – Right now, you know, it was a nasty horse collar, really a dirty horse collar that bent his left leg back. Uh, it just sort of hyperextended his left leg. Uh, that's probably not the right term. Uh, it, it bent in a natural way, but it flattened all the way out. And he tried to come back and he got on the bike at halftime and he actually came out for a series in the third quarter, but wasn't the same. I think he could have. You know, just judging by his reaction after the game, he could have damage in that game. Uh, and it just doesn't feel right. Um, Brandon Cooks coming off a concussion from the Seattle game. He wasn't really involved uh, too much in yesterday's offense. And Robert Woods was tremendous. He's been this sort of stalwart. But the whole thing that gets them going is Todd Gurley and the ability to run the ball and have that those – play-action threats actually mean something. Yeah, I get it. And I didn't see the game yesterday. Um, I mean, I saw some highlights of it. Uh, I guess I sort of look at the sport this way. 
not in any way to demean any running back. I mean, I voted for uh, Adrian Peterson for MVP. I, I, but I, I just think in general, in general, I think a player has to be, I would call him ridiculously special and significant. And the quarterback on a team uh, has to be some on a six and O team has to be somewhere between pedestrian and good uh, for the running back to be the MVP. And that might be the case in this case, uh, because again, I didn't see yesterday. I know that the numbers would suggest that uh, golf had his first off day of the year, but I mean, we'll see. We'll see. This I, is six weeks. This is six weeks. Well, he definitely, he's absolutely, he's absolutely better than pedestrian. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, but I think that you have to look at that symbiotic relationship and say that Gurley is making golf as good as he is. The threat of Gurley opens yeah. things up in the passing game yeah. uh, more so than I would encourage you to go back and look at what Gurley did yesterday and uh, against a very good defense. Now, granted, that's not the Denver Super Bowl defense we've been seeing. It's a defense that gave up 200 yards the, the week before. So it has its issues, but there are a lot of good defensive players there. And Gurley just, uh, I mean, just, he just carried the team. It was just, they put the Rams on his back, you know, 841 left in the game. Uh, everyone knew it was going to Gurley, and he just pounded it down the field, burned five minutes off the clock, got them the field goal they needed, and, and they won wound up winning the game. Who's the biggest threat to the Rams as the NFC champion? I would say the Saints. Going in to play the Saints, uh, playing them in New Orleans, um, you know, that's a tough – we're talking about the Rams have twice as many wins as every NFC team right now except the Saints who have four wins. Uh, So the Rams are running away with the division already almost running away with the NFC with the way they're playing. And their next four games are either in California, uh, either Bay Area or at home, or in domes. So weather isn't going to be a factor in these next four games. Um, I, I just think that the Saints right now are the team that could pose the biggest problem, but you've seen every NFC team other than the Rams stub their toe this season and lose games. You just thought, how'd that happen? Or team, not just NFC. I mean, you see the chiefs haven't really stubbed their toe. They just lost to a good Patriots team, but uh, you know, there've been so many games where you're just slapping your forehead. Wait a second. Carolina just went up, lost to Washington. Wait a second. You had Jacksonville just embarrassed by Dallas. The Rams consistently have played well. They've scored 33 points or more in every game except yesterday. And, and now they just won at Seattle and they won at Denver, two very difficult places to win. They weren't pretty wins. But we've gotten to the point where the Rams are good enough now that you can be discerning about how they win. Sam, I call... Uh... Sometimes when I'm having a conversation with somebody about Sean McVay, uh, I've called him frenetically intelligent. And I want to know in your mind, if you were explaining to someone who doesn't know Sean McVay, 
what is he like and why is he good? What would you say? I would say, first of all, he's incredibly charismatic. He locks in on you in the conversation and makes you feel like you're the most important person in the room that he wants to get. He remembers names. He, he does all this. So that's sort of the interpersonal part of it. But also the way he talks. I mean, he talks like a guy who is late for a plane. He's yeah. going to impart all this information on you very quickly. He's not going to take a breath. Um, it's not all just football speak. Now, he is a football guy, but he imparts that sort of enthusiasm, like, you need to know this. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't take a breath. I don't need to stop and think about your question. I'm going to answer it because I know it like the back of my hand. And, um, you know, I, I also think that he's not a guy who's threatened. He doesn't come across as a guy who's threatened. And that's why I think he's got a guy like Wade Phillips on his staff. He has people on his staff who could be or have been head coaches. And um, I think that's one of the issues that when you look across the board, and I saw this with Jeff Fisher, people, when they don't want to put competition on their staff, people who might be smarter in one area or another, uh, to me, it sort of uh, indicates an insecurity uh, and it, it, it lessens your effectiveness uh, as a coach. And he's not insecure. Sean McVay is not insecure. He knows what he's talking about. The story about. I've told people yeah. is last year after the Dallas game, he handed one game ball, uh, was it to Hecker? Uh, it was either Hecker or Zer No, it was Zerline, I think. It was Zerline. Handed one ball to Greg Zerline, the kicker, and said something nice about him. And then he handed a game ball to Wade Phillips, and he said, break us down, Wade. And literally... Sean McVay probably said four sentences in the locker room, and then he just got out of the way. And your whole thing right. about how he really is not – I mean, he might be egotistical, but he understands how a good team has to function, and that is you need to empower people to lead. That's what he has done. Not that you had to do a lot with yeah. Wade Phillips because he's kind of a in his own uh, very flannel shirt kind of way. He's a he's a leader, you know. Uh, yeah. But but I, I that's I, a great point. Peter. Yeah, I that's I, a great point. He I think empowers it, people. Yeah. and is not threatened. Right. And and he is not a self promoter. He is not pounding his chest. He empowers people. And if if I might suggest that there's one if if listeners. Do one thing on the internet. Go and watch Sean McVay's high school highlights. He was a phenomenal high school player at Marist in Georgia. Wow. He was, in fact, he was such a good player. He was the Georgia State Player of the Year, the year Calvin Johnson. I remember that story. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He is amazing. So he knows what he's talking about. He's done it. He's probably the only NFL coach now who could probably go out there and not embarrass himself in a game playing. I mean, he's that physical. He's that, and and he has the total and complete respect of his players. I'll, I'm going to get to three final things with you quickly because I know our time is limited. But I want to just say one last thing. I I first learned. I mean, I knew who Sean McVay was when he was the coordinator in Washington, but his last couple of years in Washington, Mike Tomlin once told me that when they go to the combine, he seeks them out to talk to him about offense. And I said, wow, 
Nobody on the planet knows who Sean McVay is, but Mike Tomlin wants his yeah. opinion on stuff. And I thought that was good. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. I got three things, and you are going to have to answer each one of them in 33 seconds or less. Are you ready? Okay. Ten years from now, will there be one team in Europe, two teams in Europe, or zero teams in Europe? I like your theory that there will be one team in Europe. That's that's. I think that there'd be one team in London uh, within much much sooner than ten years. I think the real question is how many teams will be in Los Angeles. You think? Wait a minute. You think one team might leave Los Angeles? Just a hunch. I think the the league has an issue here yeah. that they need to address, and. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Rams are very connected in Los Angeles. I think the chargers are doing what they can, but, uh, and I'm not basing this on any uh, in, intimate knowledge that, that there's something afoot. I just, right. Think I get it. I, it's just something you see coming down the road. I get it. And it makes a lot of sense. I, I'm going to ask you this question in, in a different way. Um, somebody made the point to me after I had heard that, the Titans and Chargers sold 75,000 tickets in three days for their game in London this weekend. And this person who's in the NFL said to me, you know, it's kind of funny. We would not have sold anywhere near that in either one of the markets where they call home. So my question is, would the Chargers have sold out Carson for this game this weekend? I don't believe they would have. Um, uh, and I how many seats are there? The league is up. There's 27,000. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. If you if you have the Packers coming to L.A., you have the Raiders coming to L.A., the Steelers coming to L.A., uh, you're going to fill that yeah. stadium easily. But with some of the teams like Jacksonville, like the Titans, like the Texans, uh, basically anybody in the AFC South, uh, among other teams around the league, um, you're not you're not going to be able to to sell those seats, yeah. uh, all of those seats, and, it, and we're talking twenty seven thousand. So it's definitely an issue. And the Chargers are an excellent team, and and that's almost more damning uh, how how good they are. So Sam, it, I'm gonna it's I'm, gonna be an issue. I'll end with this, okay. You had a tweet about a year or two ago that I'll never forget. It was so vivid that the campus of the University of Oregon is basically the exact same size, give or take two or three acres, as the campus of the new football stadium and complex in Los Angeles. So for people who don't have an idea of what that means and what it's going to be like. What is this new Shangri-La of football going to be like in Los Angeles? One more relatable stat. It's three and a half times the size of Disneyland proper. Oh, that's so that's people absurd. To Disneyland to know that it's, it is going to be phenomenal. I mean, if you stand at ground level and look across, it's, basically as far as the eye can see um it's going to be a low slung stadium with 
with a roof, although open on the sides. It's going to be, uh, and it drops down 100 feet into the ground. So it's going to be uh, sort of a low profile, more of a low profile stadium. And ultimately, when they finish all the phases, if they do in fact finish all the phases with the shopping and the residential as well as the stadium and performing center, it's going to be well north of $10 billion uh, invested in that area. I think it's going to shift the center of gravity, uh, certainly in Los Angeles, uh, but possibly on the West Coast with the number of events uh, that this is going to host, whether it's the opening ceremonies of the Olympics, closing ceremonies, whether it's a World Cup event, whether it's getting the Final Four back in California and specifically in Los Angeles, uh, NFL Network being there, I think it's going to set a new standard um, for sports campuses and complexes. Sam Farmer, Los Angeles Times. Pleasure to have you. Thanks for your knowledge. Thanks for your Trump story. Uh, and thanks for a great line uh, and several great lines about Sean McVeigh. I think you really captured him and did a great job. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. Great talking to you. You know what's not smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. But you know what is smart? ZipRecruiter.com slash king. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. No more sorting through the wrong resumes. No more waiting for the right candidates to apply. ZipRecruiter does it all for you. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the United States. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with more than 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash king. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash K-I-N-G, ZipRecruiter.com slash King. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. And now, just to let you know, I had a brief conversation with Joe Staley last week when I was out in San Francisco. And I thought he said some really interesting things 
about where offensive football stands right now in the NFL. So this isn't long, but I wanted you to hear from one of the most respected veterans in the NFL, the 12-year left tackle for the San Francisco 49ers, Joe Staley. Watch football now. I see a game that is being uber protective of the quarterbacks and is also calling two and a half times more uh, illegal contact penalties in the first five weeks versus the first five weeks last year. So what do you think when you watch the what's being said and done about protecting the quarterback and about protecting wide receivers out in their roots? You know, obviously, that a lot of people are saying – the game is getting way too soft and all that. But how do you look at it from a veteran's perspective? Yeah, the game's definitely changing. Um, you're definitely seeing defenses play different. You know, you're not seeing that aggressiveness that you saw maybe 10 years ago. Um, you know, that bully kind of defense because uh, anytime you have a big hit, and you can be – I mean, we experienced that in the preseason. We had a really great um, – Raheem Mostert, our, um, one of our special teams guys, made an amazing open field tackle, but it was a violent hit. But it was – you wrapped up right in the chest, took him down, and it was a personal foul, like unnecessary roughness. I mean, guys aren't sure. There's no consistency as far as, like, how it's being called. You know, some quarterbacks will get, you know, tattooed, um, and there won't be no flag. And then there's some quarterbacks that barely get touched or get tackled a little bit low or, you know, what have you, and there's a automatic 15-yard penalty. Um, there's no consistency. Guys don't really know how to play, which creates uh, hesitation, which creates, in turn, probably more injuries because people are, you know, if you play the game of football, it's a high-speed sport and a high-collision sport, timid and unsure and not full speed. You're more susceptible to some kind of pull or, you know, tear or, you know, some kind of injury, so... I don't know. I don't like the direction the NFL is headed with uh, these rule changes. I think it's smart to, you know, concern yourself with the safety of players and and try to do what we can. But also at the end of the day, you know, football is the number one sport in the United States for a reason. Um, I think if you mess too much with a lot of the rules and the rule changes and how the game's played, then you're going to kind of take away what made that sport so successful. What do you think you've learned watching – even just the first five weeks this year, you've been out there uh, now, I think, since 2007. What have you learned in this, your 12th year, about the sport itself and maybe the balance between offense and defense and whether it might be going too far one way? I would definitely think that the rules are skewed for bigger output of offensive numbers you know i think if you look at you know fantasy football and how much interest that generates in the nfl and you know millions and millions of dollars and whatever it seems like uh illegal contact pass interference illegal touching of the quarterback you know whatever um, it's hard to play defense now, so it creates more stats, more numbers, uh, bigger fantasy numbers, you know, happier consumers, and 
So it's definitely been changing the game in that in that sense. What's interesting is that I would think that most offensive guys would be throwing a party for this. Yeah, we're excited about. It. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's but it's also football. I mean, football is. I've been a part of tons of games that have been hard fought. You know nine to six games and those are exciting and fun to play in and um you know exciting football does not need to be a 45 to 42 football game um, right you know i had an interesting conversation with terry mccauley the former ref who now works for nbc as a rules analyst and he said he said the nfl is a great game but there's two things that he said that I thought were very interesting. One is that every rule that's made has to be made in a balance. You know, consider the effect on offense and on defense. And he said, what concerns me watching this game right now is that it's got a chance to become college football. You yeah. know, fifty nine to forty two, and 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 really high scoring games. And I think you mentioned something very interesting about fantasy football and the effect of those numbers and how many people are playing it, and and they want their quarterbacks to score thirty eight fantasy points and things like that. And it just boggles my mind that 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 kind of stuff might enter the realm of of you know the thought process by some of the people who are actually making these rules yeah. but i i think you're probably right and and i wonder just from a player's standpoint whether do you sense any frustration by players about this yeah i mean you, you more so on defensive side because you know the rule changes kind of seem to have more of an effect on them but um i mean for me i the game's different than when i came in 2007 you know it's uh not only schematically and all that stuff and the game's changing and evolving as it naturally does throughout the the generations but um you, know, you don't see those highlight hits anymore and if they do they're always with a flag and um it's just uh it's a different football game joe staley thanks so much for taking all the time yeah no problem thanks for having me on Can I tell you about my new favorite thing at home? It's my Sonos Beam. Sonos Beam is the smart, compact soundbar for my TV and the newest addition of my home sound system. It plays everything I love. There's so much to enjoy. Sonos supports over 100 streaming services. I can even use AirPlay to enjoy music and my favorite shows from my iPhone or iPad. And not only does it have all the streaming I need, but wait until you listen. The sound is brilliantly clear. You know, I discovered Sonos because my daughter has it at her home in San Francisco. And it was so incredible to walk in every room in her home and to hear basically whatever I wanted to hear, whether it was NPR or whether it was a sports event or maybe the local news. It's fantastic. So using my beam fills my living room with such great sound. I can enjoy detailed stereo separation for music, plus crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies, and my favorite thing, podcasts. I can't believe how easy it was to set up. There's no crazy wiring. Beam connects to my TV with just one cord and syncs with my remote. Even better, 
the Sonos app made it so easy to set up. And here's something I wasn't expecting. Amazon Alexa is built in. And, you know, that's an important thing for technological idiots like me. So I get all the benefits of having Alexa, and now I even have the hands-free control of my music. I can even use my voice to turn the TV on or off and adjust the volume. How great is that? So get your Sonos today. Don't wait. Don't you want to listen to music in one room and a podcast in another? Or send sound from your TV everywhere in the house so you never miss a second of the action? Create the ultimate entertainment center with your Beam, Sonos Beam. Go online to get yours today. And now my conversation straight from the locker room on Sunday night in Foxborough. New England star linebacker Dante Hightower. Back on the Peter King podcast, I'm joined by Dante Hightower, linebacker with the New England Patriots. Uh, Dante, we're standing here in your locker room after one of the most exciting games you've probably played in as a New England Patriot, 43-40 victory over Kansas City. And I guess I would ask you, I was over in the Chiefs locker room, and Mitchell Schwartz of the Chiefs said, I don't even know where Dante Hightower plays. He lines up all over the place. And so to us, it was always, where is he? So was that one of the keys to this, trying to disguise where you would be on specific plays tonight? Um, I, w- I wouldn't say uh, that entirely. I think that um, you know part of my game is uh, is being able to line up um, in different different places. I think that that's something that I pride myself on. I think that that's something that uh, that um, makes me, um, I guess, uh, valuable. I guess I'm able to play uh, you know multiple different roles. Uh, and, um, you know, that just sometimes it just happens to be uh, really works out to my benefit a lot of times, whether it's me, you know, matched up on a running back or matched up on a, on a slower lineman or, you know, me being able to, to drop in coverage and then blitz and then, you know, playing a guy man to man. You know, it's just it, it's fun. It's fun for me and it's fun uh, in our defense because we have a lot of guys like that. Do you enter a game like this knowing that because a lot of times in this game you were sort of fake blitzing? You know, you would come to the line to to make them think you were coming, and then you would you would drop back. Was that a part of this game? The fact that you really wanted to try to disguise what you were doing quite a bit. Uh, a little bit. I think that that's something that um you know that, that something that's valuable in our defense as well is that um we do a lot of different things. I mean um I can be stand up playing linebacker, or I could be line up over a guard or over a tackle, and you know Kyle Van Noy and Trey and Trey Flowers do the same thing. Um, so, you know, you don't know if we're able to, if we're dropping or if we're covering or if we're rushing or if we're zone blitzing or if we're, you know, it, 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 it it's um, difficult to kind of see because we, we can all do so many different things. And, um, you know, whether I'm up in the line and I'm, and I'm making them check um, or, you know, KB, me and KB's on the same side or, you know, all those different things, you know, throw, throws alarms off for, for, the, for the opposing team. Um, let's talk about your interception just for a second. You know, it's three to three. It's early. It looked like you sort of hid underneath a little bit before Mahomes could really see you. What did you see on that play, and what were you trying to do? Uh, he actually kind of got me uh, got me to bite up on the play action a little bit. Um, once I read it was play action, I was able to get out. Um, you know, me and me and uh, Erob was able to pass our coverage responsibilities off, and then. Um, you know, I was able to get my head back in the window and um, check back to look at the quarterback, and Mahomes was looking for Kelsey, and um, that was pretty much it. Um, 
The the other thing about this game I thought was so interesting is that it's twenty four to nine at the half. It looks like you guys are playing well and 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 you know you got the game under control, but then Mahomes comes out in the third and fourth quarter and starts learning. It looked like that to me. So what do you think happened after halftime? I think Andy Reid came in. I think he made adjustments. I think him and Mahomes sat down. I think that they were kind of seeing what we were doing in the first half. I think they came out second half with the script and hit us with a couple of things and kind of seen where we were in. And um, I think Andy Reid just kind of was Andy Reid. He kind of, you know, seen where we was in, was able to make adjustments, quick adjustments, and, you know, they took advantage of it. There was one play late in the game, the, the first time that Kansas City punted. On first down in that series in the fourth quarter, you sort of lay in wait for Kareem Hunt on one of those little screens or one of those little short wheel routes that they always try to get him in space on. You got him for a loss of one. So tell me about studying that play, diagnosing it, and what happened there. Oh, they actually ran that play two or three times earlier in the game. Um, You know, kind of got a beat on what they were doing, Um, the motion, the set. The, uh, the formation, um, we actually, uh, I think a lot of guys actually kind of communicated what was going on. I think a lot of guys kind of kind of felt like what the, those uh, those plays were in sequence, I guess. Um, but we was alert for it, um, was able to make a play on it. Uh, the, the center came out really, really quick, really aggressive. So I was able to, to beat him under. And uh, I'm not sure if it was Trey or AC or whoever it was that were right there with me. So... Um, that was a uh, just good defensive ball on that on that particular play. You know, it's amazing to say this. It was a 43 to 40 game, and yet I look at the game and I thought you guys made some great defensive plays. They scored 40 points, and yet you guys still made some good defensive plays. How do you look at it as a player? Uh, done is better than perfect. I'll take a W <laughs> over over L any day. Um, obviously, man, they're a great team. Uh, they're a really good team. Um, and, uh, you know, they're going to make plays. And, um, you know, it just so happened that they all kind of made them in the second half. But, um, you know, those are, I mean, those are, those are learning, mista- uh, learning mistakes that, we're, that we can learn from. But, I mean, the thing that we we're going to come out and, you know, those guys were going to go to sleep was, you know, that's, that's just not right. So, uh, I mean, they came out, they made some adjustments. But uh, we got 24-hour rules, so we're going to enjoy this one and, uh, you know, get ready for next week. You know what's interesting, too, when I look at a game like this, you guys – had to have studied them so much. Tell me a little bit about the preparation. You had a little bit of extra time. Take me into your world in the last 10 days and how you prepared for this game. Um, I wouldn't even want to start with 10 days. It's too far <laughs> apart. But uh, we, we did, um, you know, Bill Flo and uh, Josh did a great job just as far as of um, you know, getting us, uh, getting us in, watching the film, and kind of knowing, you know, how they wanted to attack us, and you know, if if they weren't attacking us this way, and we did this, how they would attack us. So, um, you know, we did a good job. I mean, you know, studying for Andy Reid. Um, you know, we game six and seven is definitely a lot easier than the first game. I mean, um, I mean Andy Reid is a you know a wizard when it comes to offense, and you know, he has so many different things that he can do, and um, so it was. Uh, they were great as far as the film study come, and obviously we were, we were able to come out first half and do that in second half, make some adjustments. So, um, you know, Bill and Bill Flo and Josh did a great job as far as uh, getting the game plan together. As it's probably difficult because you give up forty points, but do you get any sense of how fun this game was to watch, or are you just too far in it to really enjoy it like that? Uh, I'm trying to win. I, I'm, I'm I'm sure I'll uh, I'll, en- I'll enjoy it whenever I you know catch the TV copy or or whatever. But uh, 
you know, it's, it's fun being a part of those games. It's even better when you win. Um, obviously, you're able to pull, you know, positive and negatives from both sides. But um, it's always great whenever you get a, a big win like this on a, on a night like tonight, Sunday night, primetime football at home. You know, it doesn't get any better, to get, uh, better, better than this. I mean, they come in 5-0 and and just uh, it's just great atmosphere. Do you notice now when you look at your team that I always look at your team like you get better between September and December better than any team in the league. Is this a building process for you guys every year in New England? Um, I would think so. Um, uh, you know, the real football is, is around this time. Uh, you want to be playing better, uh, you know, later in the year than that as opposed to, to early in the year. You know, there's going to be kinks. There's going to be problems. There's going to be you know, big plays and stuff like that early in the season. So, uh, you know, around this time, whenever you can iron things out and continue to play uh, good football each week, uh, definitely helps. Last question for Dante Hightower, the New England Patriots. This just always has occurred to me sort of watching your career. How often are you reminded of your play at the end of the game in the Super Bowl against Seattle? How often are you reminded of the play you made on Marshawn Lynch inside the five? Um... Maybe not a lot, but I do mean, you think do you think about it ever, or only when people bring it up? Uh, me, I mean, me personally, I think those are fantastic plays. But I mean, it's not it's never really about that. I mean, I'll have a time in my life wherever I can really think about that kind of stuff. But um, the the key in both of those both of those games is we got the W, and you know, at the end of the day, that's all that matters to me. Yeah, Dante Hightower, thanks a lot for joining me. No problem, thanks, people. Thanks to my guest Sam Farmer, the Los Angeles Times, Joe Staley of the San Francisco 49ers and one of the heroes of the Patriots' victory on Sunday night, Dante Hightower. If you enjoy these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my chats with Rich Eisen, Adam Schefter, and Larry Fitzgerald. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, ZipRecruiter and Sonos. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.